Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ram and Gareth. Hello, chaps. Hey, Steph. Hello. <laughs> With Milo off DJing in Central Europe, and word has it that he was doing back-to-back all-nighters in Amsterdam and Athens, the old jet setter. It falls upon the three of us to break down exactly what happened today at the new lane between the glorious Tottenham Hotspur FC and those grubby, greasy sorts from the wastelands of Stratford. West Ham United. It is one of the several fights against the dark side the mighty Spurs have to wage each season. There is no love lost between the two because it is only possible to lose what you have even a bit of in the first place. Right, chaps? It's a fair comment, don't you think? Yeah? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And having braved the bowling ground many times over the decades, and in 1981 having had my coat Stanley knifed for my troubles, I may point out, I have to admit this is one I really, really don't like to lose so get ready for some unbridled joy as we recap and analyze a vanquishing of all the dildo twins stand for aka today's 3-1 win over stratford retail park and chaps if we can all just join together for a few seconds of laughter one two three (laughs) 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 oh the joy But first of all, as usual, we start with our intro question. And this week, Milo wants to know, if you were a wrestler, what would your entrance theme song be? Uh, Gareth. Yeah, well, as Milo's not here, I'm going to answer a different question to that one. Let's <laughs> on it. It's anarchy. So when I was growing up, my, my boyhood hero, or my only my hero who wasn't wearing a Spurs shirt, was Brett the Hitman Hart, who was five-time WWF heavyweight champion and i was obsessed um by all things brett the hitman heart including his entrance music and i was remember going to america on a family holiday when i was about 15 or 16 and in the shop there you could actually buy a cd with all the wrestlers entrance themes on it so that was one i brought home and i was very proud of that so it's not so much if i was a wrestler which tune would i would use i would use that one but i want to use brett the hitman heart's entrance theme for everything i do so if i go into a meeting at work <laughs> i want to go into brett the hitman heart music which is called heart attack in fact i'm hoping that milo will have been able to find that when he edits this and he can drop it in when you introduce me before the start of this question possibly your most complete and excellent answer to this uh, ambient question we have each week for some time i may say you you've got us off to a flyer ram beat that well firstly let me say i know the heart attack theme tune i love the heart attack theme tune what an answer and i commend you gareth because that um uh, it's very easily to it's very easy to find on spotify i know because i've used it myself when i've been g'ing myself up for the gym or anything like that so props to you i would say for me i'm not going to beat the heart attack theme tune but i'm going to give an honorary mention to um koshis by audio slave i think it builds into something quite special but i can't look past welcome to the jungle because it gets in your face straight away it warns of imminent danger and it would get both me and the crowd fired up. I also think I'd rock the cropped NFL top, tight cycling shorts and high top sneakers look um, as my wrestling attire. Well, let me just say, get in the ring with me, motherfucker. Because <laughs> I, I am entering the ring to Dancing Queen by ABBA. Oh. And I'm all about a sparkling, sparkling wrestler's costume. The element of surprise. You think that as I mime to You Can Dance... I'm going to be somewhat of a, 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 shall we say, not the greatest wrestler in the world, but I'm going to kick your ass or even your ass if we're going to say this in English. Well, there we are. The game is about glories. Wrestling uh, ambitions will hopefully be fulfilled at some point. I am going to take a punt that Milo would come out to a Smith song. 100%. Yeah. 100%, yeah. right? He's he's he'll be, he would he's going to hate that actually because he's <laughs> going to hate to be associated with Morrissey. So maybe we should actually alter that and say because he would hate Morrissey, let's say that Milo will come out to a song by Marky e. Smith of The Fall. And being the generous person I am, I'm going to let Milo tell us next week what that song would be. So, there we are. Anyway, let's get back to the show and the week that was. Um first of all, uh we were really sad to hear of the passing a former captain, Tony Markey. Earlier this week at the age of 89, Tony played a total of 232 times for Spurs between 1947 and 1965, over two spells, either side of playing for Vicenza and Torino. Uh, he was incidentally actually registered as a Juventus player. 
Uh, he never played a game for them. So there's some sort of synergy there with uh, our current sporting director. You can do the football math. Um, he won the League and Cup double and the Cup Winners' Cup with us and was a supremely well-respected squad member who came in for Danny Blanchfield or Dave Mackay when needed. Uh, rest in peace, Tony. And we also lost one of our former club secretaries, Peter Barnes, at the age of 77. Peter was with us for 13 years between 1987 and 2000. And we send our condolences to his family as well. Jaffet Tanganga has unfortunately undergone knee surgery and will be out for the rest of the season, but is expected to be back for pre-season. Jaffet, uh, we all wish you the very best here at the Game is About Glory and look forward to seeing you on that pre-season tour, fit and happy again. Uh, Troy Parrott has been named the MK Dons Player of the Month for February. He's having a really good spell of form recently and the MK Dons fans seem to have really taken to him. So that could be good news for us. Um, let's hope he, you know, finds his feet fully and keeps on going and maybe we can be the beneficiaries. Two new contracts and the development squad, Brooklyn Lions Foster and Malachi Fagan-Walcott has signed new contracts with the club until 2023. And finally, um, in this last week, uh, we really want to make sure to wish our captain and legend, Gary Mabber, an easy and speedy recovery from the successful carotid uh, artery surgery he underwent last week. If anyone can name a more humble and generous Spurs legend than Gary, then we can only call you a liar because that person doesn't exist as Gary wrote, edited and published the book. We hope to see Gary back on his ambassadorial duty soon. Get well, Gaza. Here we are. We've reached that moment of the show. There were three in the fourth place chase, or maybe not anymore. Antonio Conti's charges took care of business, disposing of West Ham by three goals to one. It was a massive six-point game with regards to said fourth Champions League spot. And before the game, the talk was that our Champions League chances were over if we lost. So boot on the other foot and all that, right? Anyway, chaps, away we go. Let's get cracking. Uh, you know, the team selection speaks for itself. I think we all know that. Uh, let's, I mean, let me ask, uh, let me ask you, Ram, do you think that he is going to be flogging this same 11 for the rest of the season. Is this it? I mean, do we even need to have this question anymore? Uh, You know, I was looking at this one and when we're going to talk about the Brighton game and I think, I don't think we do. I think it will be. This is is the 11 unless Skip comes back and is ready to come back into that 11. It's just always as expected now and I don't think any, I I, I don't think many Spurs fans would disagree with that either. Yeah, no, you can't. I mean, Sessegnon's the only other one who could mm. genuinely challenge for a place in the team at the moment. There's no one else who is going to be brought back in. This is the third game in a row that he's picked the same 11. They, they fit the system that he wants to play at the moment best. So I think if everyone's well, that'll be the team that we play. Uh, I think we're only going to have one midweek game to play, aren't we? Which will be with the Arsenal one whenever that one's rescheduled. So generally, he's going to have a run of five to six days in preparation for each of those games as well. Yeah, indeed. So uh, listeners can look forward to not hearing what did you think of the team selection um, <laughs> for the rest of the season. But uh, you know, getting back to today's game, it was a real game of, of two halves in, in, in one sense. In another sense, we controlled the narrative throughout. But of course, the nature of that narrative is what changed between the two halves. Um, so Ram, tell us uh, you know, a little bit about uh, the first half approach and, and how we looked coming out of the traps. I thought West Ham started the game brightly uh, and had plenty of possession in the initial stages, but I don't think they really troubled us. I thought we were uh, we were fairly comfortable from the off, you know, and and they they can be quite a dangerous team, West Ham. They have dangerous players, but I d- I didn't think that we were, you know, I, I was I felt quite comfortable. I really felt we took control of the game, uh, and um, especially after the first goal. And I thought throughout, like uh, especially at the start, we I thought we closed down space very well. Um, we were working as a cohesive unit. And you could see that there was a method to the patient build-up play that we were utilising. It wasn't like team, you know, um, previous teams where the sideways passing was just due to a team lack of uh, movement or ideas. Um, so I thought, yeah, I agree. I thought we controlled the narrative um, in both halves. Uh, I thought we started well. I thought that, um, you know, going 2-0 up, it was a very comfortable situation for us. We just had to keep our, you know, concentration. And I, you know, I wasn't sure I'd see a way back into it. But um, unfortunately, there was. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and Gareth, I mean, uh, you know, in that first half, you know, detail what went well and what didn't go well. I mean, I think that maybe starting with what didn't go well, we're going to touch on maybe the only mistake we made in the first half. Is that fair to say? Well, it's li- literally the only thing. Well, there were 
two mistakes that were made though and they were largely unenforced ones so you may remember straight after we scored the first goal Kane then inexplicably gave the ball away and gave it back to Antonio inside mm. our penalty area and for the grace right. of God he, he dragged his shot, yeah. shot wide of the upright rather than otherwise but we didn't see anything of West Ham at all in the final third until they won that corner which of course they scored from uh, and that was from some I'm going to say some clumsy footwork from Doherty who was on the who otherwise was was excellent throughout the game conceding the corner and then Dawson wins the first header and then Ben Rama runs off the back of Son who is completely unaware that he was he was behind him and Ben Rama scored from six yards but they they really they offered absolutely nothing and it reminded me a little bit of the League Cup tie we played against them just before Christmas where they had a 90 second or maybe a three minute spell in that first half then where they were really dangerous and that was just between us scoring the first goal and us scoring the second and then they scored in that period as well and it reminded me a little bit of that because they they offered nothing else whatsoever throughout the rest of the the half and I think it was Ram said we controlled possession of the of the ball when we had it in the first half and we just never gave them the opportunity to uh to 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 try and get into the game or to create any sort of situation where you know they were obviously looking to get the ball wide and then to cross it to Suchek is their is is their game plan and more often than not it was Suchek who found himself in those wide positions who then of course couldn't cross for himself yeah I totally agree Gareth and um they look really leggy after the second goal. Like they, you know, you could see their heads had dropped, and um, they they kind of looked like they they looked like they didn't have any ideas <laughs> out there, and that's why yeah. it felt so comfortable. But because of that momentary lapse of concentration uh, or, or you know footwork from Doherty, it made what should have been a very comfortable first half into quite a tense one until the until the whistle went mm. which we and and they got their tails up after that after that goal as well so it, we kind of you know we were re, we only get, get had ourselves to blame for that situation and that being said because of the result and everything like that I'll take that over West Ham being better than us or West Ham outplaying us you know I, I, I'm, I'll happily take that it was you know we had a hand in their only goal so I think it's important just to caveat the fact that it was a really good time for us to play West Ham just because they played mm. Thursday night and we, we said on the pod last week you did say this I'm just going to cut you off completely absolutely not I'm not having it sorry <laughs> we can't give any excuses for this this was a thorough 3-1 battering it could have been 5 or 6 sorry Gareth I've got to shut you down completely I didn't I actually was giving you the floor to carry on but when i realize that you're trying to be rational um we can't have that mate yeah i mean you may be right whisper that (laughs) gareth is actually right and i'm being an audio bully right now but let's have it we can't we can't give them any excuses they should have done better we battered them yeah Yeah? west ham they they came for they came for they would have been very happy with the draw today their game plan would have been to nullified us and they would have had reasonably good optimism they could have done that because they are a well-organized team their game plan would have been to have made it nil-nil as long as possible and, and tried to get something from a set piece themselves. And having gone two-nil down, they were always up against it. Yes, delightfully placed back in their box is how I would put it. Um, but one other thing I did want to say about about Doherty, and just I just want to throw this at, at, at you because I think this is actually remarkable when you think about it. You know, at one point you have Giovanni Lo Celso, you have Deli Ali, you have Tony and Dombele, uh, and you've got Matt Doherty, and you've got Harry Winks. Of the five, one player has lasted, progressed and made it. Would you ever have thought it would have been Matt Doherty? Not in a million years. Not in a million years. When you look at, you know, in, in inverted commas, and I put it in inverted commas uh, just due to performance, uh, the talent of those players around, uh, aside from Doherty, just the natural talent, of course, and, and, the, and you know, and, and uh, performances as well. But it's what a lovely story. What a it great is. story. What Isn't a very it? Spurs story as well, I think, because he's become <laughs> a cult. He's become like, um, he, you know, he's become like Sissoko, you know, he's become in, uh, integral to the, the running of this team. And, and he's there on merit. He's there on merit. Yeah. So this is the first time in Matt Doherty's Spurs career that he's started six successive games. Wonderful. So I think it's given that continuity of, um, of of a role in the team. It's a role that is very natural yeah. to mm. him as well. And you know all the players that you mentioned there. You know to an extent, I think if you give them six 
successive starts in a team which is doing reasonably well in a formation and a shape that suits them as well. You may, you may well have got it out of them as well, but that might just have been the thing that he needed. He just needed that run of games and yeah. someone just put their arm around him and say, look, you're an important part of this team and this system that we want to play. And he's, you know, he's really finding his feet now. Yeah, I think he's a very definitive player when it comes to understanding Antonio Conte and what he wants and what he needs. And again, without getting too far down the rabbit hole of Matt Doherty conversations, which I'm aware that I am now trying to do on a weekly basis. Um, <laughs> it is really interesting what a definitive point he's become of Antonio Conte's uh, reign and style. Uh, one other thing I think is really good. We're starting to see, you know, crackles of humour from Mighty Matt. Um, not only is there the odd smile coming more than once a fortnight, <laughs> he's actually getting quite amusing. I think someone uh, asked him in a Twitter thing he did recently, something about how do you feel someone called you Dottino or something like that? And he said, well, it's a lot better than what I've been called before. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> and he kind of was grinning as he said it. So, so fair play to him, fair play to him indeed. I, you know, I thought we weathered uh, that um, tension of giving West Ham a gift rather well, actually, for the final 10, 15 minutes. And we, we dealt with it certainly a lot better than I was dealing with it as I was watching. Mm. Um, so, you know, we went in at half time, uh, 2-1 up, having avoided what I think, you know, some of us might have felt was an inevitable bullet coming right before the half. You know, we successfully negotiated that with some ease. Mm. Um, let's talk about that second half. Gareth, uh, as the t- uh, you know, let's talk about the approach of that second half and what you noticed and what you, what you, th- what you thought. I thought it was noticeable the way that West Ham came out in the second half. Often you see teams come out, sometimes sometimes the opponents with a real spring in their step. I just didn't see that from West Ham, that albeit they brought the game back and, you know, they, they possibly had a chance of coming back into it. They really didn't. So just a statistic that I familiarised myself with at half-time, in the last five years, there have been 64 occasions when Spurs have had a two-goal lead in a home game. And on all bar two of those, Spurs have gone on to win. But the only two occasions they hadn't were both against West Ham in that 3 all last year. And then there was a League Cup tie at Wembley several years ago. Um, So I've always called this one the banter derby because really (laughs) bizarre things happen in this game. Um, It's Both teams want to exert the maximum amount of anguish on the on the others so there was always that playing in my mind but the way that I saw the second half play out was that we were very happy for them to have the ball in our half and there were numerous occasions when we sprung that trap from the edge of our area um, and those auto motions that we see from Conte where we win the ball back it gets played up to Kane pretty quickly he's able to turn on a sixpence and then play in sometimes Sun sometimes Reggie so I imagine if you were watching it on the telly you may have been a little bit anxious because of the amount of ball West Ham appeared to be having. I mean, I've looked at the stats. It's slightly playing in mind with our trick because in both halves, we had 53% possession of the ball. Um, and it was the same in the second half as it was in the in the first half. But I felt Yarmolenko had that half chance where he was very wide and he skewed one. And Tony had one that he should have done better with. Um, but West Ham weren't able to produce any sort of wave after wave of attack they weren't able to sustain anything and actually I was always reasonably confident that it would be us that would create the next big chance and would score from it and I think the only surprise for me was that it took us so long to score that third goal. The only way I felt West Ham were going to get an equaliser um, would be through another mistake or a concentration lapse from us. I thought we, you know, that's that's how much we controlled the game in that. And even allowing them to have a bit of possession, we were, it was very comfortable. And we were kind of doing the same, you know, like when we played City, we were just allowing them to kind of play around, like play around us, um, you know, in front of us. And, and that was, we were quite happy to do that. And then, and then obviously either hit them on the break. But then once we took control again, like, like you said, Gareth, I think it was deceptive maybe watching it at home because yeah, we, we, we had a lot of possession. Um, and we were we were able to mix it up from the counter-attacking play of like, you know, get it to Kane, get him to do like the Hollywood ball or, or, or play someone else in. But we also had possession and we were, we were, had really, I actually thought it was quite beautiful build-up play. Very patient. Um, I don't know, maybe you know this, Gareth. I don't think, unfortunately, any of our goals um, came of it. But at one point I was watching us play and I was like, we've strung about 40 or 50 passes here. Wouldn't it be lovely if we if we scored from one. And I think one of those passages of play might have been the, um, the Kane, you know, sitter um, that he, he blasted over. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I thought, I thought we were great. And I, I honestly only thought that West Ham would get a goal through, again, through our own undoing. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about something that I think is a massive factor in uh, this continual uh, development of the Antonio Conte Tottenham Hotspur. And it does revolve around our two new signings. And I know we've discussed them to death. 
And uh, frankly, we'll probably be discussing them a lot more. But I'll try and make this a more team integrated question. Do you think that the reason Kane and Son are starting to find rhythm and form is because of the intelligence of these two new players around them? They are so smart with both their movement and what they see and the speed at which they play um, mentally, not physically. Obviously, uh, Rodrigo Bentancourt is not going to win a sprint against Raheem Sterling, but he is mentally so quick and so agile. So do you think that it's no coincidence that Kane and Son are starting to, to find some form because of that intelligence? I mean, Kulisevsky is the is sort of the missing link, isn't he, for, for the two of them? Yeah, he plays that third man role really well in the front three. I think he's, he's good enough that he distracts defenders as well. So defenders know that they can't leave him and double up on, on Kane and Son. So, so it's just another distraction in that uh, front three area for us. Ben Tancourt, you sort of notice him when you're at the game because he's just very quietly competent. He's not the sort of player, he's not going to win, he's not going to, you're not going to be many match of the day highlight reels about him, I don't think. I think there was one moment he made people quite nervous where he did a pirouette and a drag back on the edge yep. of his own penalty area today, but it felt like it was totally in control. <laughs> was, hang on, hang on. You, yeah, I know. You, you're saying it like you made people nervous, like you were sitting there as cold uh, as cold as ice. Come on, you, were you not anxious when he did that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely I was, but he um, he he just did it in a manner and we've, we, we've already drawn out the comparisons between him and Berbatov, just the way that they look and that sort of... That was full cigarette mm. in the mouth. Macchiato in hand territory, wasn't it? I mean, it was just, um, it was absolutely, it was filthy. That was filth in all its glory. <laughs> let let me caveat that just for one second. But, Only if it's um, there positive. Was, but there will be a positive coming of it. <laughs> uh, go on, mate. I'm, I'm being, no. I'm being, I'm being silly. Go on. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Bentancur, or if you want to, Bentabov or Berbaker, whatever we want to call him now. Berbaker. <laughs> like Berbaker. Very good. Very good. But, but he, I thought he, he gave the ball away a couple of times, trying, trying some like uh, a cup, you know, um, sort of one touch passing, and he tried to, to hit something first time, and 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 on two or three occasions he gave it away and it wasn't in a we didn't get punished for it but we could easily have got punished for it being a similar sort of player myself i can i can sympathize yeah. with him on my <laughs> tuesday afternoons i often try a first time uh worldy of a ball and it doesn't always yeah. come off but the benefits for the team most of the time are massive so i understand that i i, I stand shoulder to shoulder with him well there you go steph that's exactly what i was going to say and you, obviously you know in your standing in your football team how how, how it is like in the know, football world have... i may say yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably about the height of a fleas limbo bar but there we go anyway <laughs> carry on <laughs> But you appreciate what he brings to the team. And like, you know, we talked about their pace, their pace in their head, but um, actually both players, um, Kulu and, and Bentanko, they they can change the pace of a game in, in, in a moment so that, you know, we can have that patient build-up play and then they'll just do something and it will completely change the pace of the play and open things up. Um, and they're, But they're both really adept at that. And I think, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Benton Koo. I thought I think Kulu for his age, he's a real natural for this league and he's completely unafraid of getting stuck in when required. But you you mentioned filth earlier. There was a back heel that Kulu did. That yeah. that was pure filth as well. Like there, there, there was I thought it had pinged <laughs> off him and it had just hit him. I had to look yeah. at the replay to realise he'd actually <laughs> cultivated that. Because yeah. he's not a man who you look at as being uh, shall we say uh, the physical type to pull mm. off that sort of subtlety but no. my well, it reminded me of my reference point for that one was Mido on debut against Portsmouth <laughs> there we go <laughs> I love it I was there I was at that game and I remember <laughs> the touch actually <laughs> yes you know I do think again another play we've discussed um week in week out but I'm going to give it a slightly different edge I felt today we saw Christian Romero finally come of age with regards to how to play in the premiership the way he wants to play aggressive very tight to a very tricky customer in Antonio who by the way we later saw um should really have seen a red card for his mm. uh, forearm smash on Dyer which was which was not on I'd like to think that it was unintentional because I don't believe Antonio is that kind of player but nonetheless not a good look but back to back to how Romero played him he played him perfectly walked the line didn't get a card do we think that, uh, you know, this was his coming of age and that maybe Antonio's um, publicised bollocking of him in the week has had a, a very positive result in that regard? Yeah, for me, it was his best performance in a Spurs shirt so far, because not only did he do the really good things, he didn't do any of the stupid things 
either. So what he did so well today was nicking and just getting the ball in front of Antonio. And he seemed to do that by coming around the side of him rather than coming Mm. straight through the back of him today. It was also really important that he didn't pick up a yellow card because there are four games left until that 10 caution threshold comes in and he's on eight at the moment. So he needs to avoid picking up two yellow cards in the next three games now to avoid a two-game suspension because, you know, quite clearly he... If he wasn't in that Spurs back three at the moment, that seriously impacts the ability of that defence to to play in the way that Conte wants them to do, both with the ball and without the ball. I thought he was great. Uh, yeah, and I agree. I think this was one of, if not the best uh, performance he's had in in Spurs shirt. Um, Gareth, you touched upon it, and I agree. Like, I think one thing with the Premier League is this running into the back of someone is almost always a, f- a foul. But he manages to come really close, but kind of almost bring his leg round and get and get the ball off uh, you know whoever it needs to be whether it, today it was mainly Antonio I think he, he went into Rice a couple of times so he was coming forward and and kind of taking the ball out of midfield as well and he did toe he toes a really fine line but he it's almost like today he was very aware of the line and he knew just where he needed he needed to go to get to it I think he gets into players' heads as well. Like this, there was a moment where um, Declan Rice actually went into him, and he laid it off, and then Declan Rice went into him, and he got up, and the way he he looked at Declan Rice, and he said something to him, and it was almost a bit like I could I, the only way I can describe it is like the Terminator saying like "You're next," <laughs> you know, it was just like he just had this air about him, and I, I De- Declan Rice gave him some verbals back, but then I did notice I, I had a little, you know, I was watching it a bit more, the, the game a bit more, and he really. Declan Rice after that didn't really try to get anywhere near Romero after that, and I thought, well, that's that's it. He's got in your head now a bit, you know. And and I think I think he's a really important part, and for that right side as well. Like you know that you know when you think about that right side now, that is a really strong right side of our um, of our team. I think as well going back, uh, Gareth. I know we were talking a little bit about this. There was a real uh, beauty in the anxiety of the way we were playing the ball out today from the back I mean we really I think a lot of heart and mouth moments because we're simply not used to our players being maybe good enough to play out in those tight spaces I mean it is uh it could be seen as a high risk strategy if you can't play football but it's increasingly clear that we do now have the players who can play it and I think today especially in the second half we really did show the true benefits of being able to play the ball out from those really deep positions because wouldn't you both agree that some of the football today was really really easy on the eye really really pretty to watch it really was and I think I think this is now where we're we're kind of seeing a team that's finally coming like Conti's vision of a team that he wants we're finally seeing that come to fruition now and and we you know the play from the back because we've not been used to it in recent times I, you know Romero did it a couple of times Bentancur did it that one time where the whole stadium just gasped because <laughs> we were like what is he doing and then he just so deftly took it away and, and it was like a huge sigh of relief from everyone and I think, I think he still... actually whispered at one point during this much discussed move I think he actually asked Antonio for a light as he went past him didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I swear I saw him give a quick look like oh you give us a light mate I thought he did <laughs> Romero did it more on more than one occasion we were like what is he doing but then he just brings it out and then he and and they're they're kind of this that triangular play out from the back and then bringing mm. it forward and then before we know it we're we're in the we're in the opposition half and yeah it was it was really beautiful on the eye um at times but then mixed in with some really solid cohesive patient play as well excellent yeah so well, I think it's down the far end from you Ram but there was a moment in the second half where it was right down by the corner flag and Doherty um Romero and Hoiberg all combined yeah. and they probably about three or four different triangles between them before yeah. the ball was released through to midfield and it broke through that West Ham press but yeah it makes it makes such a difference because I mean bless him Davinson Sanchez you put him in that situation the ball gets rolled back to him he's going to put his foot through it and nine times out of ten it's going to slice out for a throw in and then you're going to invite pressure back nice. on yourself so that's not a, to a criticism of Sanchez well sorry no it is a criticism of Sanchez it's more it really a criticism, of criticism. <laughs> you couldn't have it's, been um, more hard I can help you with that. I can help you with that criticism. What you're suggesting is that in professorial uh, discussions, Davidson Sanchez would be testing the laws of physics by launching a ball super far, whereas we had geometrists in the corner there. 
right? Is that a fair, oh, nice. that a nice way of putting it? Yeah, yeah, I like Academically that. speaking, anyway, so, uh, carry on, yeah. Gareth. Yeah, no, so, but with Romero on there, he's just got that higher ceiling of, of, you know, of ability and he's definitely in the, you know, that small percentage of players at that level who have the ability and the vision to pick a pass from, you know, three yards from their own corner flag with opposing shirts, um, in and around them as well. So it's, it, you know, it, it really bodes well for us that we've got a player who's that comfortable on the ball. I mean, you can see the amount of times that Larry selects to pass the ball to Romero deep inside his penalty area from mm. goal kicks is evidence of that. Yeah, and one more yeah. question before we go to uh, positive and negatives. Antonio Conte said after the game, when he was speaking to Spurs TV, that before the game, he had addressed the team and said that he wanted to enjoy it. He wanted to enjoy watching them play football because he finally feels we're ready. Um. So it's sort of a twofold into one point here. Do we think that this is the, you know, that we're seeing the maturation of Antonio Conte's Tottenham Hotspur Football Club? And uh, and do you think we are finally ready? And are we peaking with this readiness at the right time to, to make the run on that fourth spot and to get in there? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's four games in five now where we've looked very good for five league, four out of five league games anyway. So there is some momentum there. And so the United game that we lost, it was one of those flip of the coin games that on another day could quite easily have gone for us. Just a counterpoint off you on that. Um, and, and he actually referenced that game in the, in the, in the Spurs TV chat by saying, he felt that we played very, very well in that game too and really didn't deserve to lose. So, it, 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 as you said, flip of the coin stuff indeed. Yeah, perhaps it is evidence that we are building up a bit of momentum and we know that he's now getting five days on average to prepare the team, which we, we always recognised was significant. Um, I don't want to get too carried away yet because I know I've, I've, I've been burnt before. I remember I was really impressed when we beat Brighton in the Cup at the start of February and you know felt with games against Southampton and Wolves coming up that we'd build on that and we weren't able to on that occasion. Um, we've got the international break coming up, which is which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. So I think let's let's assess it after we've played the next three games, sort of Newcastle Villa, and see if we can build that momentum going into them because we will be presented other challenges by um, by some other teams coming up. Yeah, I don't want to jinx anything just yet, you know, and like I'm, uh, Milo's going to hate this, but yeah, I'm going to talk about superstitions and jinxes and all that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, it, I think today. Conti showed why he's an elite manager because he, with a team still finding its identity, outclassed a very established top six team. And that's what West Ham, unfortunately, are now. Um, and I think that, you know, we are that we are building to something here. And I think it could be coming at the right time. But we've seen this season has, I, I still think that this season still has another another few twists and turns yet before, you know, our kind of the pace of our hearts will We'll kind of uh, get to any sort of norm- normality. <laughs> well, that was quite dramatic. The pace <laughs> of our hearts. <laughs> me. Well, I mean, superstition, actually. It's funny you say that. I did actually switch uh, which um, which tracksuit top I was wearing right before kickoff. Just because one was warmer than the other, it had nothing to do with the fact that I've been wearing this one for the last for the, for, for the last three games. We have one. I've actually been wearing this one. It had nothing to do with that. Neither did my choice of underwear or socks. I just want to put that on record. I'm not a superstitious lunatic. Um, Oh, I I lied, actually, because before positive and negatives, there is something important to briefly touch on. It's that, you know, the scourge of of football, actually, in my opinion, the the international break. Although, in fairness, this is probably one for, you know, a high degree of countries that is absolutely vital and important as they fight to get into uh, next winter's World Cup. What a strange sentence that is to say. But um, from our perspective, uh, well... Is it coming at a good or a bad time? I mean, is it good that we're going to get a little rest or is it bad that we've hit a great for, you know, run of former momentum that we now are going to have to put on hold for a week and a half? It's slightly fortuitous that the first game back after the international break is on the Sunday at half past four and it's a home game. Yeah, You know, you points. can imagine if we were travelling to, you know, if we were travelling up north for Saturday at 12.30, yeah. that... Yeah, that that can have an impact. And our first game after that first international break was away at Palace, and that was a Saturday lunchtime. And I, I remember saying this at the time. I, I think it's really wrong that teams are expected to play that twelve thirty Saturday after an international yeah. window. Anyway, um, I've got a feeling Liverpool play Watford on the Saturday twelve thirty at Anfield. 
think I heard a distant complaint from Jurgen Klopp about that somewhere. I think he might have mentioned it. Well, <laughs> that's one, not like him. Once or five hundred times. Okay, <laughs> so I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I actually think this international break, uh, bar any injury, coming back with any injuries or people coming back late, I actually think it has come at the right time um, because we, we've we've got to a point where we've set out what we, you know, there's no question marks over where you know, what we need to do next. Um, so we are where we are, which is fifth place, 51 points ahead of Man U. Uh, is it three points behind Arsenal? But they've got, they've obviously got a, a game in hand or is it one or two games? A game in, in hand, hand, which Milo yeah. will be jumping up at the moment and saying, and it's away at Chelsea. And it's away at Chelsea, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's such a weird thing. I'd, I'd rather be where we are than either Arsenal or or West Ham. Essentially, well, that's because we're Tottenham Hotspur and they're both horrible, nasty toe rags. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, so it's very natural. Don't don't feel apologetic about saying that ever, man. I think you're absolutely right, and I feel exactly the same. I'd rather be where we are, whatever position that is in the table. But I know what you're saying, and I completely agree. I I, I completely agree. I think it's fascinating. Again, I mean, I don't want it to seem like I've got a man crush on the bloke, but I'm sitting here and we're talking about international breaks, and I'm like, crikey, one of the players we really can't afford to get hurt if he is indeed going out on duty is Matt Doherty. Mm. Anyway, on that, <laughs> let's go to one positive and one negative in 30 seconds. And I mean, I won't say it. I, I, okay. Oh, yeah, you can have a negative. But there, let me just let me just preface this by saying there are no negatives to this day because we beat West Ham and I love it because I can't <laughs> stand them. <laughs> Sorry, reining myself in. Help me, Gareth. Help me. One positive, one negative. Uh, positive was for, for me, that was the that was probably the best performance under... Conte sort of barring the Man City one, which said is has its own very um, nuanced tactical approach that you need to have. But yeah, the fact that we were we were, we were so in control of the game against a good team um, is the positive, and it gives us a really good platform and a blueprint to build on for for probably the majority of games that we've got to play against. It will be against teams that won't be as good or as strong as as West Ham. The the negative for me, um, if I've got to find one, is again I don't like own goals on the on the score sheet. Um, I think that yeah, I, don't... <laughs> I just think it looks ugly. Yeah. We've had so many of them this year. Of course, apparently, nothing, apparently, it's but... apparently OG is our third highest third. scorer of the season. Yeah. Is this by, stat, by right? some distance? Yeah, yeah. 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 OG, yeah. <laughs> yeah. who's your third like, best scorer? Oh, it's OG, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Ram, um, my negative, uh, in and uh, you know, if I had to search for one, is just Reggie's um, decision making in the opposition penalty box. Um, he he had a couple of times where he just made the wrong decision. There was one point where he all he, he couldn't get the shot in, so he just had to control it and wait for people to come. But he, he sort of threw himself to the ground, and the crowd got you know the crowd said basically told him to get get the f up, um, and then. Um, uh, and then there was yeah there was a weak shot when again if you couldn't do the shot let's just 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 control the ball um, that's where I think Cess might have been might be the better option in those in those scenarios but I, I am I am reaching for a negative here um, the positive um, I mean there's nothing that hasn't been said already so I'm going to give two just from being at the ground today one was the crowd getting behind the team um, we were behind them the whole way. Even even when um, they equalised, and you know our heads could have gone down, but the crowd were great. Yeah, I, I haven't felt like that at Megalane for a long time, and it was beautiful after the third goal win and uh, goal winning, and then the final whistle. And also, I just want a, a big shout out to um, Paul Coit, Paul Coity, because he he was there, um, and he he was it was just lovely to see him. He sent a message from Gary Mabbott as well, and to concur with what you said, Steph, you know Mabbott, you know he's there. He's just had surgery and everything, and his his the main point of his message was just to wish all of us well, and that's a measure of the man. That is a measure of uh, Gary Mabbott. What a what a what a mighty man he has always been and and remains. Mm. And uh, yeah, as you said, it's really nice uh, to see Paul Coit back taking up a position that quite frankly he should never have not had mm. i think that's fair to say um yep. my positive is uh just beating uh that, that filthy bunch i can't stand them again as <laughs> i said uh you know and it's a it's a, it's a shame because i do have a couple of very good friends who are fans of theirs and we enjoy banter but i just i just don't like them i just i really don't like them i've never had a good time going to going to their their grounds i've never had uh it's never been a friendly occasion it's, it's always been anyway without rambling too much just beating them uh is always a massive positive if there's one moment in the game to choose i will choose this 
around the 67th minute, something like that, we lost possession in their half. And Harry Kane ran for, I think, 10, 15 yards to charge it down and to win the ball back. And the crowd surged with him. And for me, it was really a moment where we reestablished control of the game because Harry Kane was was saying, not on my watch, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do whatever has to be done to win this game. And, And that's what we're going to need. We're going to need that in the running. I can't remember. Have I have I said a negative? You, you told us quite explicitly that there were no negatives from this yeah, wonderful day. That's earlier. absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> the right answer. A plus Gareth, you're correct. There are no negatives because today's score against Stratford Retail Park was Tottenham Hotspur 3, Stratford Retail Park 1. Back in your box. Back in your box. Um, earlier in the week, uh, we went to Brighton which has not always been a happy, uh, happy place for us. Um, you know, let's spend a few minutes discussing that. But the first thing I want to discuss, this is where I think modern football really comes into play here. And it's a, it's a, it's a question that I have. I haven't seen it asked by anyone, actually. Uh, when Harry broke the record for scoring the most away goals and that Coke bottle flew through the air that he just so deftly volleyed and it was captured instantly by about 200 photographers. Um, do we think that that was a staged affair by coca-cola do we think that we witnessed a market moment of marketing magic exploiting harry kane's tactical and uh and, and shall we say tech genius oh, i've caught you on quite, the hot there haven't i that's that's a, a very cynical view but sadly <laughs> sadly in today's world i can totally see that being a thing totally Gareth's just staring at us bemused. His mic is muted and he's just looking like, where the fuck did that come from? And I'm sure Milo's going to be sitting later editing. He's like, where the fuck did that come from? Where it came from is because I've seen some of the most brilliant photographs of any footballer in action this season as he's kicking that bottle with the lights going through the the, the actual soda and the colour of the shirt that we're wearing. It was just all perfect. So, Gareth, I mean, do you think think I've really lost the plot here without Milo to help rein me in? I'm, I'm trying to work out whether the cat was on the bottle because of course they're not supposed to be in any football <laughs> center are they? Gareth I'm with you carry on I like this I like this I've got, uh, I've got a t- I'll bring a tinfoil cat with me to the Newcastle game I've got one for you we can wear them together I like to wear mine yeah. too <laughs> you should you should yeah because of course if the cap's on um then it's probably not easier the... to control the flight of the of, of the bottle if you haven't got the cap on then you're you you really battling against the elements and you've got to trust a Herbert from row seven to throw the bottle in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. But maybe Coca-Cola have have a very highly trained marketing tossers to do that. That's, uh, literally I mean... like you know, skilled <laughs> tossers <laughs> who can skillfully toss the bottle. I, I, this is yeah. the tactical well, breakdown we're, we're, of the we're Brighton match more... that nobody's expecting. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're now giving him more publicity than they probably got beforehand. I mean, you've, you've referenced Coca-Cola. I'm wondering whether there's a Coca-Cola executive in the shape of sort of Duffman standing five yards behind you at the moment. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good shout, Gareth. I, I started thinking that. Uh, is there is there a certain amount of times you have to be? Oh, there we that, go. There we go. You can't, the of it. you can't see this, viewers, <laughs> but Steph is literally drinking Coca-Cola. Uh, actually Coke Zero uh, for for less calories for all you calorie conscious and uh, carb conscious uh, soda drinkers anyway how much money are they paying you Steph (laughs) and where's our cut well that's that's the pathetic bit I'm paying them to drink it and as Gareth pointed out I've just given them five minutes of free publicity so who's the moron but anyway uh, (laughs) but anyway uh, now that we've broken that one down and it was actually uh, I mean think about it though it was a pretty great skill to be able to volley that bottle right yeah. when you're in the middle of celebration but i mean seriously tactically it felt uh, much like today it was an ex- you know, a really controlled performance and one would say that until today probably our most controlled performance of the season would you not agree i haven't got a great deal to to add to it because i didn't see any of it uh, apart from the goals afterwards of course being it being in the uk we are very limited in, in what we can watch in games that aren't aren't televised and uh, i wasn't able to hop on the euro tunnel and, and go to Belgium and watch it legally for, for a couple of hours unfortunately. It's interesting that you mentioned Belgium would be the first place you would go in Europe and not France or or that or, was the, <laughs> or, or Ireland perhaps. Yeah. Ireland yeah, yeah Belgium indeed have you have you seen In Bruges the film? No. Oh, you should see it it might change your perspective or it might fortify it I don't know. Ram help us out of this Belgian rabbit hole we're going down. I've got that face now that Gareth had a moment ago, just a complete loss of what's going on now. Um, 
Think what I, Milo's going to think when well, he's editing yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that Gareth has said this bit about illegal streaming, so I can also confirm that I definitely did not watch the game, but I seem to know a lot about it despite not watching it illegally because I would never do that. So with that being said, I think from what I saw, um, I can only guess that like Brighton's tactics were like to establish their home advantage and attack us as they always do, and they're really good at home. But I felt we really nullified that. And I thought even though it meant perhaps having to be more patient and risk averse um, than we would normally be elsewhere or, or playing you know, against a team, I, I thought we did that really well, if that was the tactic, um, which I believe it was. Um, and I thought it was building blocks. I thought it was another building blocks performance where, you know, like say Man U, we, we, we build up to Man U and then a couple of blocks fall, fall down, you know, but then we start building again. And I think that that performance was very much one of those. And again, leading up to this team sort of really finding its identity. Yeah, I agree. I mean, being uh, that I am based um, in North America, as you know, and I I did see it um, and uh, you've pretty much both nailed it. Everything you heard about the game is completely accurate. Um, You know, looking at it as we are out of sync with today's game, you would definitely now say it was a stepping stone to today's game, both in terms of, you know, the way we played. But I think one of the biggest things about this game was psychologically, we really stood up because there were so many things being thrown at us after the Man United game, which incidentally, I agree with Conte. I thought Mm. we were very unlucky. um, And we have been over that, obviously, on the previous week's pod. But you know, people saying, well, he can't win midweek games, you know, are we going to be able to do it? The pressure's on, so on. And we, and, and we psychologically uh, took care of business very, very comfortably. And I think that psychologically, we're getting much stronger, which is allowing the players to trust their own skill sets. And mm-hmm. I felt that we saw great evidence of that um, at Brighton. And, and let me say, um, between the Brighton performance and today, all of this is happening when we're still missing two I think you would call them sitters per game. We're missing yeah. some very, very clear-cut chances. It must be noted. And at a, cer- at a certain point, you have to feel with the quality we've got up front, those are gonna those are gonna start turning in our favour as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think we should probably just leave the Brighton game there. Then, given uh, that yeah. you know, obviously, you know, it wasn't broadcast in the UK. Um, and I think we've which covered I de- it. I, What's yeah. that? I, I, which I definitely did not watch. Yes, no, I can see that, and I mean your 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 um your gauge of the game, as you will, from all other forms of media which you are allowed to legally access, are very impressive. One might almost say it's almost like you have a third eye oh, that allows you to see these things. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, we won two 0 at Brighton, which was a great platform to today's game against West Ham. Uh it was a night game, the Brighton game, which is me conjuring a segue into our final little chat here, which is about the beauty and glory of the night game. I mean, let's let's just face it. Football is better at night, right? I mean, who does not prefer a cracking evening in Cowder as opposed to a 12.30 p.m. kickoff on a Saturday? I mean, right? Especially as night games, they usually represent European competition. And for those of us inclined to the mighty Lemonoras, there is something mystical about night air. It always makes football more exciting for me. So, with that incredibly poetic uh, preamble ramble, Gareth, your first ever Spurs home night game. My first night game was so it was at White Hart Lane. It was a League Cup tie against Southend United in October 1989, which Spurs won wow. 1-0. So, of course, looking at this through the prism of an eight-year-old, the biggest benefit of going to a night game is that you don't have to go to bed until even later. And in my case, you get a bag of chips on the way home as well. So <sighs> night games, therefore, are are, are, are an incredible thing. Um, I just want to caveat something with, with night games, though. For, for me, it's thinking about the stage of the week that they're in as well. So to some extent, a Monday night game, um, I, know, I know we're talking more around the environment um, around a night game, but a Monday night game, particularly if you haven't won on the way home, you then realise that I'm going to get home late, I'm not going to get much sleep, and then it's Tuesday morning tomorrow. So for me, the epitome of a brilliant night game, it's got to be a Wednesday night. So that's, yeah. that's just the, the, the caveat I'm going to throw in there. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I really don't like Saturday twelve thirty games. Really, you've not mentioned that before. Have you? <laughs> no, I mean, not that you've never complained vociferously that. about uh, that ludicrous time, a lunchtime Saturday kickoff. Hmm, interesting. We learn, learn something new every day, eh, Ram? Yeah. <laughs> Carry never, on. Sorry, mate. I am interrupting you a lot this week. It must be because Milo's not around to give me the eyes. Anyway, carry on. 
So it is very much the case that it feels like the teacher's not here this week, doesn't it? And it's yeah. it's brilliant, isn't it? School's yeah, yeah, out yeah. for summer. <laughs> it's not brilliant. We miss him. We miss you. I say it's brilliant because it makes it feel like we're in the classroom without a teacher, but we do miss you. Come back soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, so night games. Wednesday nights are, are, are the best night for a football match. Um, we have started experimenting in this country with Saturday, I guess, nighttime games. There's been a couple that have kicked off sort of beyond half past, half past five. Um, I was saying to you beforehand, Seth, as a club fan, you don't get many of these. But for me, I, I love a night game where the game actually starts in the daytime and then it's nighttime at the end of it. So I'm particularly thinking of um, World Cup and summer tournaments for those. Uh, you may get a few of them in sort of May time. Um, I, but you'll, you'll remember the 1984 UEFA Cup final. Sorry, Seth, if I've just given away your answer for this one here. But that must have felt a bit like that. It probably kicked off in daylight, and by the time Graham Roberts lifted the trophy, it was um, it was it was darkness. Well, it was the lightest of light. He lifted the trophy <laughs> at White Hart Lane at a night game. It doesn't get any brighter than that. But yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. I, I will get there. But 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 Ram, um, you know, your first ever Spurs home night game. I'm really racking my brains and I can't remember. I know I know it was a league game. It wasn't uh like a cup game. So it would have been a Monday night, I guess, but I feel I f- I was quite late to the night game <laughs> scene. Um and I feel like it was a Villa what, game. Sorry, that, that that's a, <laughs> what, 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 quite late to the night games. What? But did you have something against night games for a while? <laughs> no, no, I just never I never not really got not, yeah, when I was a kid I wasn't allowed. Oh, and then right. um yeah, and then sort of I just I just never really went to a night game until sort of I think it was like maybe even the early two thousands or something like oh, that. For and Christ's uh, sake. Yeah. That will be all from the game is about glory. The <laughs> Codgers here will be buggering off to but, but I've made up team. for it. I've made up for it. I've been to v- many night games since. But I think that particular one, I was getting to my seat in the old North Stand and Villa went 1-0 up and ended up winning 2-1. They went 2-0 up and we scored, I think, in the final, like maybe an injury time. But I can't, I can't honestly remember who scored, what the, what the, you know, what, um, but I'm pretty sure it was Villa. We lost 2-1. I can see Gareth is like, you can see he almost rem- he's remembering it. <laughs> it sounds like we're talking about the golden age of Toda somewhere in there, somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I feel like I, it might have been. A... We, we we lost on a Monday night to Aston Villa in 2008. It was when we just sold Keenan Berbatov. Ashley Young scored one of their goals. Oh, no. uh, I think it was Pav's home debut. I don't know if that's too late, but that was 2008. No, that was, that was, that was definitely late. a Monday yeah. night in September. Yeah, that was too late. But like, yeah, there is, there's something very romantic about the lights. You know, there's that slight chill in the air with uh, it, like, you know, in, in certain nights where it's, you know, you can see the, your breath coming out. And then, uh, and the Champions League made it extra special, I think, for us. And like you, you touched on Gareth, that sort of Wednesday night game in the Champions League and when we finally got there and the music and everything like that, it's just untouchable for me. Yeah, yeah. My, my, see, my first ever uh, home night game. I, I, this is betraying my age. It was nineteen seventy five, and it was uh, beating Leeds four two. Um, as the Alfie Con era, and it was uh, actually uh, shamefully enough, we were in somewhat of a not quite a relegation fight, but it wasn't looking great. Uh, but it was uh, whatever wasn't looking great was banished that that night. Um, and I was very young. Um, I, I really, I was. I'm not faking that bit. I mean, I was uh, born in '67, '75. You can do the math. Uh, but what I will always, wow. always remember, and I've talked about this before on air, I'll never forget coming up the stairs into the the shelf side. Um, but you, I just could hear people stamping all around, and all the ground was wooden and. The lights as you and and we've all talked about this. I know we've talked about this as well, Gareth, that as you when you're smaller and you look at the the stairwell that leads to the pitch, Mm -hmm. you haven't quite seen the pitch yet, but you can see that the the lights coming uh, over the the horizon, if you will, of the top stair and you hear the crowd and it's just loud and thunderous. Well, imagine an all wooden ground at that point and people just stamping in unison it was i mean it was terrifying and intoxicating all at once and i knew that i was hooked i was so hooked i just i mean i I, you know it was such a 
and and White Hart Lane was a very very unique ground because I think it was one of the only grounds that I ever remember that was all wooden at that point. So it really made some noise, and it was packed that night. And there was Alfie Con's hair, which I know I've talked about that as well. <laughs> I mean, he was just everything that you know you you loved uh, from a maverick footballer, especially of the seventies, especially the Spurs shirt. So you know what an introduction that was. Um, and you know we we, we talk about um night games, and uh, I mean I'm just a simple question: Do you prefer football with stadium floodlights on i think i do yeah i think i think i've had because i've had some cracking memories in night games and and for the reasons that you just stated you know the the, the, the romanticized the romanticizing of it i still think very little beats a north london derby on a sunny afternoon 3 p.m kickoff or not 3 p.m like a like a, a sunday 2 p.m or 4 p.m kickoff or something like that there's something there's just something in the <laughs> air there as well that i really enjoy but i i would say I would say I prefer night games. There's more build up, you know, you'll be, you're spending the whole day building up to it and it's like a crescendo and yeah, yeah, night games for me. Yeah, we said the night game, you're right, it's that crescendo, it's that build up, it's being at school or, or being at work throughout the day and knowing that I'm not going to go home and watch EastEnders tonight and be sat in my bed at half past nine. You know, you're going to watch a football match and, um, you know, hopefully it's, it's an exciting game, it's a game that you can, there's lots of anticipation for. Night games, yeah, I, mean, I agree with what you said there, Ram, as well. As well as night games, the other thing that creates a really sort of evocative motion in me is that bright sunshine games, maybe in, probably in August, right at the start of the season, where it's played in yeah. you know, broad sunlight. Uh, I, I, I say it quietly; they might have, they, they 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 might give us one one day, a three o'clock Saturday game <laughs> in bright sunshine in, in August. So, I mean, cup finals traditionally are obviously played in you know, bright sunshine at you know at three o'clock in the middle of May, but also those ones right at the start of the season in in an August as well. I will always love night games. I, I will always feel the charge of them i will always feel there's an electricity in the air at night that you just don't get during the day and uh, you know the cynical view of that would be that people have more time to have a few beers and all that but that's rubbish it's nothing to do with that at all it is something about i think us as human beings and circadian rhythms and i don't want to get into lemon territory too much but there is a romance about football at night that when it's played well and when it's played with beauty and with glory, there's just nothing better. And 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 thankfully, I've I've you know seen many many just magical night games with this football club. And that's not to be taken for granted because I think there are a lot of teams who have not uh, had as many glory nights as we have. Um, mm. which 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 you know, look, it says your favourite night game. Uh, I I I think I'm gonna if you've got a, a two or three that you want to share very quickly and list and maybe focus on one, feel free to do that. Seth, so, so, ask you a question you're obviously yeah. out in north america yes most nfl games of course take place on a sunday afternoon but i know yeah. they always have a slot on there yeah. probably for television purposes about the thursday night game and the monday night game yeah, yeah. it's the same thing reflected over there if you're, if you're going to a game on a, a monday night it's oh really a hundred percent a hundred percent let me tell you before oakland uh made their uh somewhat um disappointing in my opinion and i'm being very very uh, subtle when i say it well i'll just come out and say it. before oakland made their ridiculous move to las vegas uh, something which just really i think is an awful a disgraceful thing but i guess in the world of american sports it's easy to do that they played at the oakland coliseum as people would know the coliseum itself is an old school building and pretty old um monday night at the coliseum with the raider fans who are known um as NFL people will obviously be aware, known as the Raider Nation, and who had a, an area of the stadium behind one goal called the Black Hole, uh, which was filled with uh, what, you know, looked like a Halloween carnival on, you know, mixed with 24-hour party people, it must be said. But imagine that on a Monday night. That's an yeah. atmosphere. And yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. And I'll take you one step further. Um, having seen the San Francisco Giants many, 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 many times, um, there's nothing more electric in baseball than not even a world series maybe but uh a championship series game six or game seven at night electric i i think i think it's perennial for live sport i mean i really do believe that so yeah no it it does it does stand it's a good question i think it stands transcends a couple of sports and you know two very different sports and cultures as well so yes yeah and i mean i'd be interested if anyone wants to tweet us or uh contact us on social media and uh and share any experiences they might have had if you're abroad um you know and you've experienced a, a sport at night 
that he's not football and enjoyed it to the same extent that we're telling you about the games we've enjoyed, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know. So, yeah. So back to that, um, you know, pick, pick a couple of your favorite games. I mean, you know, as I say, if you've got two or three, you can list them and maybe detail one. I'm not just going to keep you to one. This is too magical a topic. Um, I've got a couple. Uh, I'll, I'll focus on one at the end, but um, a couple, I would say the uh, the 5-1 against Arsenal in the League Cup. That was pretty special. Um, Martin Yoles' last game, um, it was at the UEFA Cup. Was it his last game? Yeah, against Seville. Yeah, the, the way we got behind the team then and the atmosphere the whole way through was electric. In the new stadium, I think the Champions League um, against City, the one nil win that was that was fantastic. When we went, we won one nil at ours and then um, went through uh, to the was that to the semi final? Yeah, semi final against Ajax. But I remember Hugo saving a, a penalty from. Aguero and we celebrated that like someone had just scored a 40 yard worldie it was it, that was sensational but the one I'm going to focus on actually wasn't at the lane wasn't at the old lane or um or at uh mega lane it was um it was at, uh, against Madrid um at Wembley and that for me was something so special because I remember just I think we was it, it was 4-1 wasn't it yeah 3-1 3-1 and um I remember when the third goal went in and I was just I just, it was, you know, we were singing and everything and I was just looking, I was looking at the lights actually, funnily enough, and then looking down at the pitch and, I'm, and I had tears in my eyes and I was like, all the shit that has happened in the last 20, 30 years, all of that just flashed before and I was just there and I was like, we've just beaten real fucking Madrid at Wembley Stadium. I think we might have even set a record attendance that night. Um and that was where we'd established ourselves as a club. We were now in that on that level, and I'll never forget that feeling. And then Dembele smashed through um, Sergio Ramos, <laughs> kicked him up into the air, and that was just the icing on the cake. So that for me is a very special memory of a night game. Yeah, for me, the electricity never got much better than when we beat Chelsea five one in the League Cup semi final in in two thousand and two. That was the twenty third of January, and it was, it was a bitterly cold evening that night but my god did it feel warm and did, did you feel the heat inside the stadium that night that you really didn't that you really didn't notice the weather and then of course there's the walk back to White Hot Lane Station afterwards and the you know the singing in the and the, and the um, electricity in the air as you walk out the stadium as well so that's one that comes to mind um, I guess I'm also thinking about some away trips that I've been to as well of an evening and of course there's the reality that whether you win or whether you lose, that you're probably 200 miles from home and you're not going to get back in until the early hours of the morning. So um, I can remember going up to Sunderland for a Saturday night game where we won 2-1, where I was coming back on the supporters coach afterwards. Um, and of course, you you know, you, you sit in traffic about 100 yards of the ground for about the first 45 minutes and, and, and then it tends to move a little bit quicker after that. I can remember, I know you were at the game, Steph, we've spoken about this before, losing 2-0 at West Brom between Christmas and New Year in the game when... <laughs> The most entertaining thing was um, was heckling Alan Smith. He was on Sky Sports <laughs> duty that night for oh, us fantastic. as well. Um, but yeah, the reality of that one, and then getting stuck at Birmingham New Street and not pulling in at Watford Junction till half <laughs> past two in the morning. No, you know, I had to be at work. Do, we- at- we half could do the next morning but we could do an entire pod on that one game <laughs> even though it was the shittiest game ever i mean it was so crap wasn't it but imagine how much more crap it would have been during the day there was something about the fact yeah. it was freezing cold and pitch pitch black say for the floodlights that did make it even more memorable you're absolutely right yeah 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 anyway i cut you off as i have been doing this entire pod so apologies <laughs> please um yeah no I, I think I'm I think I'm done there but yeah the the best one for me was that Chelsea and home victory I don't think that would have been the same if that had kicked off at, at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon um I don't think it would have felt quite the same as it was because it was a nighttime game there's definitely something very very unique about beating your um, or one of your your local rivals in a big cup tie on an evening game you know, when I think about this, it makes me realise that I actually might be a little bit of a, of a nutcase uh, because when I think of the the games I'm about to tell you about um, and the one that I'm going to detail, you know, it's the re- half the time the reaction is very animalistic. It's very vitriolic and very feral. 
it's a really really um it's almost like a and i don't want to get too lemony here but it is almost like a, a wolf full moon reaction i have to some of these things i think winning the cup final in 1981 was uh was incredible i've spoken about what it felt like to witness that ricky veer goal from you know uh what well, would have been we were all standing but it would have been about 20 rows up from behind the goal but I mean it became two by the time everyone had finished celebrating but I've talked about how everything just went like a flash photography thing for a second as he wheeled away and we realized he'd scored I think winning uh, the UEFA Cup final was an epic epic moment but but far more stretched out it was an evening rather than a moment that's how I always remember that it was an evening because there was a lot of drama that night um one of my other favourites was the 3-0 semi-final replay in 1981 that we beat Wolves um, at Highbury. And I think half of the amusement there was because he was at Highbury and because we were standing on the North Bank and going to Wembley on their stadium, on their turf. But I think I've, I'm going to stick with a more modern one. Uh, and oh, There's just so many. There's so many I can think of as I'm sitting here. The 4-4 against Arsenal. My God, I left that ground oh. just like absolutely howling like a banshee. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and there was no doubt that the night air made that so much better. And I felt like a snarling wolf afterwards, but snarling with joy. You know what I mean? But I think the one has to be Eastland's. Um, for me, this is these oh. ones I've witnessed because I think I, I wasn't over for the Real Madrid game, and 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 so help me, what would have been the crowning glory of my entire fucking life in Madrid in in June 2019 didn't happen. Um, I mean we went, but we know what happened. But I think that night at Eastlands was just, I mean, it's just incredible, incredible. It was like supernatural. Like, you know, and, mm. and, and it's, it's always, I think we were talking about this, you know, an away goal is always, um, I was talking to Gareth beforehand, actually, about how, you know, the fans went today when Kane scored the third goal. Not a night game, I understand. But in terms of standing, like, well, you know, we've got the standing area now, mm. what that was like. And he said, well, of course, it's always better when you score away from home. In that sense, there's always more, slightly more caveman activity. Well, adding the night game element to that, I just, you know, I've sought out video clips of the away end celebrating that Peter Crouch goal. I've never fully found the one that shows you the away end going caveman for like a minute. Cause I know there's one out there. If anyone has a link to that, please send me because it's, it's fuel for me whenever I even see the 10 seconds of it. Um, so yeah, that would probably be my pick. But as I said, I think as a football club, I feel that, you know, um, there was a, a book written about our European history a long time ago called the, 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 the Glory Glory Nights. And uh, I think that there's a very good reason for that. I think we as a club have a deep affiliation with, with, with night football and night games and, and beauty and the romance of them. So, um, yeah, that's 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 where I'm leaving it. <laughs> anyway, it's an international break next weekend, chaps. Uh, so we're going to try and find something else Spurs related for your oral pleasure. I actually know what we are going to talk about next week, but I'm not going to tell you. I mean, I'll tell you two. I mean, when we stop recording, but all you listening, you're going to have to tune in again. It's going to be good. You're going to really enjoy it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this week's. I have Gareth Ram. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Thank Steph. you, Steph. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Absolutely. And everyone, you can, as you know, find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow, say hello. And look, if you've got any interactive comments you want to make about things we've discussed on the show or moments we've shared and you want to share with us, we would love to hear them. Really would. Or read them or whatever. If you've enjoyed this pod, please tell your pals and leave a glowing review on iTunes and Spotify. As always, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next week when Milo will be back from spinning the world crazy with his sexy dance beats. Night, night. <laughs>